Turn again your Bibles to Matthew 22 and keep it open at Matthew 22. We'll also skip forward in just a moment to Matthew 25. But Matthew 22, look at a section in 34 through 40. Now you won't catch me counting the commandments, but those who've counted them say that the total number of Old Testament precepts and prohibitions is six. 113 commandments. Now that seems like an awful lot of commandments to memorize. It seems like an awful lot of commandments to keep. So let's narrow them down from 613 down to the 10 main commandments. I dare say we wouldn't come close to getting the 613, but together we pull our intelligence here. I think we could all come up with the Ten Commandments, but today, today only, I'm going to give you a bargain, not 613, not 10, but just two commandments will we ask you to keep. The whole Old Testament can be summarized in just two commandments repeated by our Lord and Matthew Chapter 22, these were the chosen commandments of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come to our passage in Matthew 22. Jesus has just silenced the Sadducees when they pose the question and to the woman about her successive seven husbands. And now it was the Pharisees' turn. Ready, aim, fire. If the Sadducees could not silence our Savior, now the Pharisees could find fault with the rabbi. A lawyer puts him to the test. Rabbi, which commandment is the greatest commandment of all of them? In other words, of the 613 different commandments, Rabbi, which one do you pick out to be the most important? Now, it's set up to be a trick, but Jesus does not even hesitate. He gives us Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. You see how this works, don't you? If you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, then you'll keep the other commandments. If you love God that much, you're not going to worship anything or anyone else, are you? If you love God that much, you're going to honor his day of worship. Let me say that, say that again. If you love God that much, you will be gathered on his day of worship. If you love God, you're going to give and not be a person of greed. If you love God, you're not going to lie, for he himself is the Father of truth. You get the picture. If we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, it will change how we live. It will change literally who we are. But Jesus doesn't give us just one commandment. The Pharisee asks for one, but Jesus gives him two. And what we find is these two commandments are inextricably linked together, vertically loving God and horizontally Loving humanity. And the second commandment, Jesus says, is much like the first one. You shall love your neighbor just like you love yourself. 
on these two commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor, are all the law and all the prophets. That's the foundation for everything. Now you see how this works too, right? For the second part of the Ten Commandments. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie about him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet what is hers. You see how it works. Well, we love our neighbor. We love God. The connection is brought together. Now turn over a few pages to Matthew chapter 25, another way to see that connection between the love of God and the love of neighbor. We'll look at it in a moment at verse, verse 40. It's that judgment scene where the nations are divided between the sheep and the goats, the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left hand. And the, Jesus says to those on his right hand, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you came to visit me. I was in prison, and you came to check on me. And those on the right, the sheep say, Lord, when were you hungry, and we gave you something to eat? And, and when, when were you thirsty, and we gave you something to drink? And I don't remember you being in prison and visiting you. When did all that happen? And Jesus says in verse 40, when you did it to the least of these, to those marginalized in culture, you were visiting me and feeding me and clothing me. And then he looks over to the goats on his left hand and says, I was hungry and you did not give me anything to eat. And I was thirsty and you didn't give me any bread, not even a crust. And I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And I was sick and you didn't visit me. And Lord, Lord, wait, 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 that's not fair. No, I never saw you hungry and didn't feed you. And I never saw you thirsty and I didn't give you a drink. Now tell me, tell me exactly when did I see you naked and not clothe you? And Jesus says, when you didn't help the least of these, my brothers, you did not help me, verse 45. You can't read that passage of judgment and say the loving God and loving humanity are not linked. Now, I'm not saying, I'm certainly not saying that everyone who does good deeds or act of, acts of kindness has good theology or understands God's plan of salvation through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying, conversely, you cannot understand God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ and not correspondingly do good deeds. More on that tonight in our study on James. Go home and do an internet search on the word depression. I did it yesterday. In 0.38 of a second, less than half of a second, I hit 6 billion links to depression on a, on a major browser. I tried happiness. How, how much are we interested in happiness? Are we interested in happiness like we are depression? Same amount of time went by, and only a third of links to the word happiness as they are to the word depression. Globally, especially westernly, we are not a very happy people. And the more we focus on our sadness, the more sad we become. Now let me say at the onset, I'm certainly not belittling or making fun of anyone's clinical depression or their need for treatment for chemical imbalances. That's not what the sermon is about. That goes way beyond my scope of expertise. 
But Dr. Carl Menninger, who was an expert at all these things, a psychiatrist, said, Love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. Love cures people, both the ones who give it and the ones who receive it. Today, I want us to focus on the ones who give it, the ones who love God, and the ones who love their neighbor just like they love themselves. I found an institute for the research into unlimited love, abbreviated I-R-U-L, pronounced I-Rule. It was started in 2001 with a huge grant from the Templeton Foundation. I-Rule focuses on love and studying love and giving love and, and, and making people better through giving love. In fact, they said the kind of love they're trying to promote through the research and study is the golden rule kind of love. So did you know even the Temple Foundation supporting the golden rule here in Matthew? And I-Rule says, in the last, until recently, in the preceding four decades, there were 100,000 studies on the word depression, but only seven on happiness. 100,000 scientific studies on what makes us sad and depressed, but only seven on what makes us happy. But the tide is beginning to change. Our rule doles out money to colleges and universities, to professors and laboratories, to conferences and book publications, anything that gathers together scientists and scholars and educators to dialogue on the prospects of how human beings can help each other through love. Our rule says our world is full of hatred group conflict, rudeness, even technologies of destruction. And while we've all studied all over the planet how to kill each other, we might study how to love and to serve each other. Our rule has already started 50 scientific projects, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Princeton. They're all applying to receive grants on how to study love. So you see, it improves our well-being, our mental health, when we reach out to help others. To date, 200 publications have cited studies promoted by the Institute, the Boston Globe, Toronto Star, the National Post. I was intrigued that such an elite institute existed to study the golden rule or the principle of love embedded in the golden rule. Modern research is confirming what the Christ has already told us. It is good and wise and healthy to love each other. In our selfish humanity, we don't think about the other. It's so hard to love the neighbor just like we love ourselves. Have you ever been in charge of cutting slices of pizza for kids? Have you ever seen a kid say, hey, 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 I want the small one. Hey, um, I want to be sure he gets the big piece. It will not happen. Children naturally want the largest pizza pizza. Adults naturally want the most, the more. We have to change ourselves to live as the Christ called us to love our neighbor even as we love ourselves. And of course, there is no greater model than the crucifixion of the Christ on the cross who says that he has given himself totally for his neighbor, for his brethren, for his family, for us. What might love look like? I come across amazing stories all the time. Let me tell you about the Anglins. There's a mother and father and 15 children. Seven of them are biological children, but eight of them are adopted. 
The adopted kids that they choose have special needs ranging from cognitive deficits to even the absence of limbs. There's a myriad of ethnic and racial backgrounds among the children they've adopted. They call their farm Acres of Hope, and their mission is to spread God's love one child at a time. Mother Teresa said, we can't do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Or take Christina Noble. She was a poor, abused Irish girl from the slums of Dublin. She had a dream, and in the dream, she was carried away to Vietnam. The vision inspired her to work on the street with children in the poor, disease-ridden city, the children of the street. She wrote a book entitled, Bridge Across My Sorrows. She says, you might laugh about my dream. You might say it was nothing but a dream, and only someone who was Irish would act on a dream as if it were a message from God, and you could be right. But she acted on her dream. As a middle-aged woman, she moved to Vietnam. She had no education. She had no money. She had no idea what she was going to do. But when she got to Ho Chi Minh City, there were two little girls playing in the dirt. At least she thought they were playing in the dirt. She went over and realized there were children in the street, and they were actually grubbing for ants to eat. One of them reached out and wanted to be touched by her. And she reached back and held the little girl. And she realized she was making a life-changing connection. God was calling her to work with the children of the street in Ho Chi Minh City. That hug by one little girl that started with a dream led her to start a hospital. And at any given time, there are 75 residential children in inpatient care and 1,000 children on the street that they help and treat and encourage on an outpatient basis. Christina Noble is making a real difference loving her neighbor as herself. Or we could travel back in history. There's a story of the 18th century American Quaker John Woolman. John was asked by his boss to help him sell a slave. And Woolman said, in my heart, I could have no part in selling a slave. So I refused. Now, this is the 1700s, folks. He said he refused. My heart was tender and often contrite, he wrote, and the universal love of my fellow creatures increased in me. It wasn't an easy sell job, but Woolman succeeded in one-on-one -on -one conversations as he traveled to fellow Quakers who were farmers. This is in the mid-1700s. And by the year of 1770, almost a century before the Civil War, there was not a single Quaker in the colonies who owned a single slave because a man named John Woolman got in heart that it wasn't right. And for two decades, every day, he went farm to farm and house to house, calling the people of God away from slavery. Imagine if there had been a John Woolman in every major denomination of the South. A single visionary individual committed to change under the power of unlimited love can make a difference in the world. Now, I'm impressed with the Anglins and what they're doing with their, their farm. And I, I'm impressed with Christina Noble setting up the Children's Hospital in Vietnam. And I'm intrigued by John Woolman being ahead of his time and leading his denomination to stop the practice of slavery way before the Civil War. But when I read these stories, I realize our own church is already full of people just like this.
I've never seen or heard of a church where so many people live out their faith through acts of sacrificial service as I see demonstrated right here at First Baptist Church. In any given year, we have 200 of you going on a mission trip, leaving the safety of your own soul. And thus, just this year, we went to various places with various groups. We loved in the name of Christ in Lebanon, of all places, in Zambia and Costa Rica and Hungary and Phoenix and Colorado Springs and some of the missions in Pensacola with our student choir. If you want to love people in the name of First Baptist Church, really in the name of Christ, you don't have to board a bus. You don't have to get on a plane. You can live out your faith right here in Amarillo. This afternoon, every week, we have 50 volunteers, some who drive vans and go throughout all the communities, pick up 150 pupils on any given week, Thursdays and Sundays. It's not folks from one country. It's folks from a myriad of different countries. They have moved here. They're looking for a job. They do not know English. And you sit down and you volunteer. You pick them up. You bring them to church. And you teach them to read English so they can thrive and even eventually excel in Amarillo. English as a second language. Did you know through your tithe dollars last year that not, not hundreds but thousands of individuals were helped at our Perkins Community Center served by our volunteers who fold all the clothes and bag all the groceries and give them away every week, two times a week in the name of Christ. And this Christmas, we'll have 500 names on our Christmas tree for children. These are 500 children who will not otherwise have a Christmas as First Baptist Church doesn't step in and play the role of giver. And every year, the tree is bare and someone says, Pastor, do you have another name? Do you have another name? We can help. The list really has no end, and I'm going to leave your ministry out because I don't even know of all of them, and I certainly can't name all of them up here. We don't have time. It goes to cars and computers and bikes and blankets and widows might helping the elderly members of our church who need a routine repair, or whether it's caring for preschoolers, 300 of you working in Bible study this morning, or, or working with the Christian's Women Job Corps, the Christian's Men Job Corps, the Adolescent Job Corps, taking someone who doesn't know how to prepare a resume or turn on a computer or job skills or know how to interview, getting them ready for the next stage in life. Serving as a volunteer chaplain for First Baptist Church and going into the care facilities, visiting senior adults on a monthly basis. Maybe it's a deacon or the women's hospital ministry in the hospital every day, 365 days a year. Maybe it's a deacon carrying a cake to a woman or a man who's just turned 90 that day. Maybe it's our fostering hope ministry showing up with a crib and diapers and clothes in the middle of the night as one of our families who gives foster care has gotten a call that a little one needs some love and shelter and they don't have clothes that size, but we do and we're ready to bring them. Maybe it's driving a cart in the parking lot, helping a single mom who's trying to balance a diaper bag and a baby in her Bible way out on the far shot north parking lot and you pick her up and bring her right to the door. Maybe it's our prison or our jail ministry under Tom Ferran's direction, and, and maybe Jesus says, I was in prison and you did visit me, First Baptist Church. But really, it's all those things, but it's also the unofficial, uncounted acts of kindness that happen every day by members in our church family who are taught how to be disciples. 
Watch over here as a, a member of First Baptist Church goes over to his elderly neighbor and shovels her snow. Someone said something similar to this to me one time. Pastor, my elderly neighbor needed a ride to the doctor this morning. So I gave her a ride. You know, the church ought to do something about that. I said, yes, and the church just did. You are the church, and God made you her neighbor. I think we've got her covered, don't you? No, we can't do it all. We have to limit sometimes what we can commit to so we can do it all well. But you and I both, neither of us have no idea exactly how much takes place under the banner of First Baptist Church of Amarillo in service to others. I don't know. No one knows. Nobody has calculated the hours. We'll calculate in a certain place. Bible school, 1,300 kids, 500 volunteers, and then Bible school in the park about two weeks after that. Yes, there's new dreams and new visions and new projects. The loft you see going up is a great testimony to your faith and our future. It will be a game changer for the students, not just First Baptist kids, but all the students in our community. Our student ministry is already serving banquets on a weekly basis for high school teams. Well, it's First Baptist Church in the schools and the schools in First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church, loving God and loving our neighbor. At First Baptist Church, we are not here to entertain you. I can give you some more entertaining church, churches to attend. We are here to call you and equip you and engage you to be a follower of Jesus. We are here to make it easy for you to fulfill your gifts and use them for the kingdom of God. My life is not about me anymore. From the moment I said Jesus is Lord, and your life is not about you anymore, from the moment you said Jesus is Lord, is it about him? And as we love him, we must also love humanity. We are called to be the hands, the heart, and the feet of God. Love cures both the one who gives it and the one who receives it. The minute we stop focusing on our own problems and the minute we start sweating to serve others, our perspective changes. The best cure for our self-centered focus is to focus on others through the story of Jesus. It will change who you are. You and I can't sit around and soak in our own problems, be they marital or physical or financial. The moment we become the giver and not the receiver, life truly changes. It's called being a disciple. Let's pray. Oh God, what a challenge from your word this morning to love you with all that we are and to show that we're loving you with all that we are by the way we love our neighbor. Some of our neighbors are close some of our neighbors take an airplane to visit. But to all of them, we want to be your presence and the peace of your gospel. 
If you're here this morning and this is your morning to say yes to discipleship and yes to following Jesus, you need to understand it's, it's a full life commitment. Being a disciple of Jesus is not a part-time hobby. It's a daily demand. Maybe you're here and you want to be part of a church like this. that sees itself as the eyes, the ears, the hands, and the feet of Jesus. To love in his name and to share his good news. Amen.